Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. I don't know about you, but at times life uh, feels either really mundane or really busy. Uh, on, on the mundane side of things, there's a pattern, right? I, I get up, go to work, I do my thing, go home, I eat dinner, I hang out with the kids, I maybe play fetch with the dog, and I go to bed. And I do it all over again. There's nothing uh, really special about it, it seems. Just day in, day out, uh, week in, week out, year in, year out. Same old. Um, what year is it anyway, right? I still feel like we're in 2020. Thank God we're not. But, uh, man, three years have passed. Wow. Um, life can be very mundane. But on the other side of things, life seems really busy with school and work and meetings and holidays, holiday visits, family time, uh, church involvement, different ministries we're involved in. Um, it just seems really busy. And it's interesting how as soon as something interrupts the mundane, all of a sudden I'm just super busy, right? Some, one thing enters and I'm super busy. But whether you feel like you're going through the motions, you know, the mundane side of things, or you're busy trying to keep up, maybe both, in the midst of all that, it's easy to forget just uh, why you're doing what you're doing in the first place and, and why you're here. Uh, is there any meaning or purpose behind all of these small, seemingly insignificant decisions and things that we're doing every day, moment to moment? Is there any meaning or purpose behind these small, insignificant moments? Sometimes I think what we need to do is we just need to, to boil it back down again. When things get crazy and we forget what we're doing, and we just need to boil it back down and ask, why? Why are we doing what we're doing? What's the reason for this? And the answer I would like to posit this morning is found in one word, and that's the word worship. Worship. We were created to worship God, to, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, the old uh, catechism says, right? To worship God and glorify Him forever. Uh, worship can bring meaning to even the most mundane aspects of our lives and center us when we need recentered, when we get lost. We forget where we're at. It's kind of like I was driving in Denver last week, and I, I had to use Google Maps everywhere I went, right? Because I'm not going to uh, get out the big old atlas like my dad used to do, the trucker. You know, I just, hey, Siri, where's this? Where's the aquarium? Where's the zoo? That sort of thing. But um, before I left the hotel, I needed, before I left for Denver, I needed, I needed to see the big picture on a map. I needed to see both the, the start and the destination, 
Right? I needed that big picture in my mind of where I was going. But then also throughout the journey, I would also need to recenter. There's a recenter button on your, your Google Maps. Right? So you recenter to make sense of the, the little decisions that you're making. Okay, what's this next turn coming up? Where is it at? Um, so worship is something like that. I guess, you know, it's, it's something we were created for. It's the big picture. But it's also something that's going to give meaning to the everyday little decisions in our lives while we're en route to our destination. You know what I'm saying? So and I'm happy and refreshed to say that our theme for the year 2023 Three is created to worship. This is a theme that uh, we're going to revisit throughout the year that we're going to keep on our hearts and minds, looking at different aspects of what it means to worship. And next week, uh, we'll return to our journey through the book of Acts. We'll finish up the book of Acts. But today, we're going to turn to probably the, the densest conversation on worship in the New Testament in John chapter 4, verse 20 through 26. Uh, just to give us some context before we read, Jesus and the disciples are traveling through um, Samaria, that's the territory just north of Judea, uh, it's the land of Israel, uh, Judea would have been the southern half, Samaria kind of in the middle northern part of the territory that we think of as the land of Israel. But uh, anyway, Jesus, the disciples are traveling north through Samaria, and they take a break at a city called Sychar, and uh, the disciples run into town to buy some food while Jesus kind of hangs back to to sit by Jacob's well right uh, he's just gonna take a seat at Jacob's well for a drink actually it's more than just a drink um, there's a woman that shows up uh, to draw some water and he wants to witness to her and he starts to witness to this woman um, in his omniscience right his all-knowingness he he exposes her sin and basically says that if she'd ask him for a drink, if she'd ask him uh, for a drink, he'd give her living water so that she would never thirst again. Obviously, a reference to eternal spiritual life within being born again by the Spirit. And uh, because of his comments that he's made to her up at this point where we're jumping in, um, she perceives that he's a prophet. She knows he's, this guy's at least a prophet. This is a man of God. Uh, but then he wants to bring up a worship debate, a debate about worship between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans were kind of like a, a half-breed Jew that the Jews called dogs, and they, you know, they just they were always battling. Uh, they didn't get along very well. But there was a debate over the proper place of worship. And verse twenty says, "Our fathers worshipped on this mountain." And yet, you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one must worship. And Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Uh, we worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. Uh, but a time is coming, even now has arrived, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for such people the father seeks to be his worshipers god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth and the woman said to him i don't i know that the messiah is coming he who is called christ and when that one comes he will declare all things to us and jesus said to her 
I who speak to you am he. So pretty, uh, pretty just obvious, right? Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah here. Um, favorite, this is a favorite passage for, uh, for many. Um, there's a lot of discussion here that takes place on worship. And we're just going to start uh, our, uh, our study on this theme by just asking, uh, what is worship? What is worship? If, if worship is going to be our theme this year and we're going to be better worshipers as a result, we have to attempt to define it. Um, and I say attempt to define it because it is difficult to define, and that sounds wrong in a culture struggling to define what a man and a woman is, but um, it's true in this case. It actually is hard to define. And uh, a lot of the theological books and dictionaries and whatever I was, I was uh, preparing for today, all of these I was, I was reading, they pretty much all agreed that it's difficult to define because the concept of what worship is is much broader than any one single word can define it as. You know, it's just, it, there's, there's just several words, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that you have to kind of take together to understand, again, kind of get a handle on what worship is. Uh, for example, you know, the Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary defines worship as to honor or reverence um, as a divine being or supernatural power. Like, you give someone honor or reverence, or they d- define it as excessive adoration of someone. But uh, you're going to see as we study that that understanding is very limited in its scope, and so are the definitions that we typically come up with, right? We, we talk a lot about how, well, I'm going to go to church and worship on Sunday morning. We call Sunday morning a worship service. But, and that's true, but that's not all that worship is. Uh, worship is not limited to an hour on Sunday morning. Um, as wonderful as our worship services are, the two words used most frequently in the New Testament for worship are these, uh, proskuneo and latrevo. So, uh, proskuneo uh, means to, this is a word used 60 times uh, in the New Testament, more than 60 times in the New Testament. Ten times this word was used in John chapter 4 in just those six verses, um, or variations of it. But it, it means to uh, bow down and to kiss, basically. So, uh, at times, it can refer to just kind of a respectful greeting, right? A bow, you know, like you might see in an oriental culture. Um, but most of the time, it means to actually prostrate oneself, like to bow down with your knees on the ground before a god or a king, right? To give obeisance to or homage to this god or king. And uh, sometimes uh, with a kiss, because... Just kind of like, uh, you know, in maybe the Persian culture, we might see this. But uh, when a king walks by, uh, you know, you, you're to bow down and kiss the hem of his garment or kiss his feet or kiss the ground that he walks on, right? We're pretty familiar with that concept. Actually, the first part of this word means towards. The last part means kiss. So, um, It's kind of interesting, but not something that we're totally unfamiliar with uh, from ancient Near East cultures. Um, It reminds me of of Psalm chapter 2. As soon as I started studying this word, I thought Psalm 2. Because Psalm 2 goes like this, do homage, right? Most of your translations say kiss the Son, the Son of God, lest he be angry 
and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So um, kiss his feet, right? Bow down to the Son of God, the King of the world that Ed spoke about last week. Um, give homage to him. Give him your worship. Give him your trust. Kiss the feet of King Jesus or else you're going to perish. And that's the way kingdoms work, right? You don't give your allegiance to the king. You're out of the, the kingdom. That's how kingdoms work. Uh, that's how they operate. The word in a picture is, again, someone just falling on the ground, prostrating themselves to depict an inward attitude of humility, uh, submission, dependence, awe, maybe gratitude. Uh, Psalm 95, 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. I mean, that's, that's, that's getting at the heart of this word for worship. And uh, it should be a natural response, one would think. And you realize God created you. I, you know, God created me. I'm dependent upon God for my every breath. I mean, I don't have a battery pack. What is keeping this heart beating in my chest? It's life that comes from God. It's just God. God's the one sustaining me. He's the one sustaining this universe. He's the one who supplied my, supplies my every need, especially my need for salvation that I cannot obtain on my own. You know, just kind of you think about all that God is and who he is and all of his mighty acts, and you just want to say, God, man, you just want to fall on your knees and say, God, thank you. Right? It should be a natural response. And then uh, maybe just in our difficult situations, and it shouldn't only be difficult situations. I'll be honest with you. I'm on my knees every week in this, in this room while you guys aren't here, usually on Monday or Tuesday, but I'm on my knees just praying for the week and, and thinking about the Sunday ahead. Uh, but so, so get, so I just want to encourage you guys to get on your knees more often before God. But, you know, the difficult situations in life are tend, uh, tend to drive us to our knees, you know, I like because these things come up and these circumstances are hard and they just drive us to our knees and we say, God, it's, it's our expression of dependence upon him, right? I'm on my knees. I got nothing. I am totally dependent upon you. So uh, that's, that's kind of what getting on your knees expresses. It's this inward reality that I am, I'm not who I think I am and I need God, you know. Um, when some people realized who Jesus was in the Gospels, uh, many of them, like he healed them or whatever, they, they would fall down to the ground on their faces and worship him, it says. This is the word they used. They would, they would, they, he would act and they would bow because they realized, this is God. Whoa, this isn't the average prophet. You know, this is the Messiah. Peter bowed down and he said, uh, I think it was the miraculous catch of fish that they catch, and the nets are breaking, and, and, and Peter's like, I'm done fishing. I'm getting on my face before Jesus. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He realized this is the Messiah, this is God in the flesh, and I'm on, he got on his face. That was his natural response. And then on another occasion, the man healed at the pool of Siloam uh, returns to Jesus in John 9, 38, and says, uh, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. So Jesus heals this man, 
he returns later to worship Jesus and he says, Lord, I believe. So it's an expression of faith. It's a faith expression. Um, by the way, um, good news, the good news in the world of archaeology this week is that that pool of Siloam where that miracle happened is going to be fully excavated now within the next few years. Um, critics used to just you know, harp on this. This was one of the things they attacked. They used to say, the Bible's not true. There's no pool of Siloam. It never existed. Well, guess what? A pipe burst in Jerusalem in 2004, a water leak, and while they're digging for this uh, water leak, um, guess what? They found some steps to the pool of Siloam, and now they're going to fully excavate this thing. So that's pretty cool. Um, but while worship is, is something that does manifest itself, externally in ways like bowing down it really does start in the heart uh it starts in the heart many many times the bible talks about people like the pharisees they're going through the religious motions but their hearts aren't circumcised right they don't have they don't have the heart behind it the heart their hearts he said are far from him so someone can fall prostrate externally but not in their hearts if they're just going through the religious motions on the contrary Think about this, someone can be standing fully upright, but be prostrate in their hearts. They can be bowing down before God in their hearts, and only God sees that. But just something to think about, it starts here. Uh, the second word is uh, latrevo, which used, uh, it's used more than 20 times in the New Testament. It means to, to serve, or uh, it kind of carries the idea of duty and service to God. Like a worship service. It's two words which should be one, technically. Worship, it, it's service. But uh, it refers to someone who serves the Lord in heartfelt service. Now, um, hopefully we're, we're all servants of the Lord here this morning. But in Hebrews, uh, this is a word in, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, this word is used hundreds of times and in Hebrews to describe some of the, the temple worship that the priests would do uh, in the temple. They would serve God in that capacity. They would offer sacrifices and all of that. But um, Hebrews also uses this same word to explain how in the New Covenant, uh, those things have uh, fallen away, right? We're not under law. We're under the New Covenant. And, and worship or service in the new age, in the present age, the church age we're living in, it's through the eternal spirit, right? It's a spiritual service that we offer to God. Now our, our spiritual service is good works. That's our sacrifice that we offer. Good works, we offer sacrifices of praise, we offer the sacrifice of our lives. That's how we, we serve God. And so um, it's... it's not bound up in those externals like it was in the temple, but it's in spirit in light of the truth of who Jesus is now that we're worshiping. In spirit and in truth. Jesus, we don't, we don't need a, a priest to offer sacrifices for us. Why? Because Jesus is our high priest. And he offered the sacrifice of himself for us. It's a once for all sacrifice. And so now we worship God in light of that. Uh, Philippians 3.3. 3. Let's look at a few verses here where this word's used. Um, it's we who are the circumcision, right, of the heart. We who serve God by His Spirit. We who worship God by His Spirit, you could say. Some of your translations just use worship instead of serve. Uh, who boast in Christ Jesus and put zero, no confidence in the flesh. All right, so we don't depend on ourselves. 
and our good works to save us, we boast, we take pride, not in our works, but in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Uh, that's our spiritual service of worship, right? So no longer, uh, Revelation 22, 3, talking about eternity, no longer will there be any curse. Uh, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and the New Jerusalem, and His servants will serve Him. His worshipers will worship Him. The idea, again, of service there. Uh, Romans 12.1, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies uh, a holy and living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And again, just it's redundant there. They only needed one word. This is your worship service. This is your, your true worship, the Christian Standard Bible says. This is your true worship. So even when we limit, you guys, you see this, even when we limit our study of the word worship to just these two New Testament terms, you, you gather that it's more than what Webster's defined it as. It's more than what we typically think of it. It's more than, worship is more than singing. It's more than keeping tradition. It's more than rituals. It's more than Sunday mornings. It's more than a feeling. It's more than an experience. I would, I would argue it's a, it's a proper, engaging response to God uh, based on His divine revelation of Himself and His will. It's how we live our lives in heartfelt response to God's revelation of Himself and His will. A sacred disposition in the heart towards God in anything and everything that we do. Uh, 24-7, 365, we're worshiping. That's, there's going to be private dimensions, there's going to be public dimensions like there is here. But it's 24-7, 365. Two other uh, scholars gave helpful definitions that I think help tune our hearts to uh, what worship really is. And one of them simply defined it as an appropriate, an appropriate response to the revelation of the holy God of glory. I thought amen to that. Uh, another said worship in the New Testament uh, is a comprehensive category describing the Christian's total existence. It's coextensive with the faith response wherever and whenever that response is elicited. It's living in faith, like it's a faith response in every moment. He says worship of the living and true God is essentially an engagement with Him. You're engaging with God in life in, on the terms that He proposes and in the way that He alone makes possible. So... Uh, I might have to think through these a little bit, but uh, you see there, that's, that's helpful. What he said there about worship being on God's terms, on his standards is critical because uh, there are standards for worship. And that takes us back to John chapter 4. Uh, the Samaritans and the Jews, right, they were arguing about the proper place of worship. There's different locations and rules and manners of worship that have that have been in, in place throughout the dispensations of time, uh, throughout the different time periods. And Jesus said uh, she was wrong. She was wrong about the proper place of worship. Uh, it wasn't on Mount Gerizim in, in Samaria. It was in Jerusalem with the Jews. 
And, and so he corrected her. He told her she was wrong. The Jews are right. But he also informed her, hey, a new age is coming where neither one of your temples is. Like, these aren't going to matter. And that's the age that we're in. He said, he said, a time is coming and even now has arrived. It's coming into fruition through Christ. Well, while he's talking right there and through his life, um, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And I like this because they both assume that there are standards for worship. What God says is worship. And um, those standards can change. But um, one of the standards that doesn't change is that God alone is to be worshipped. He's the only one worthy. Um, God is only one worthy of worship. He's to be worshipped, though, in a proper way, in a way that God says. And, and, and we have to study the Bible and find out what proper worship is for us in the age in which, in which we're living. There's, there's righteous worship and there's wayward worship. Worship has changed throughout time. If you think about um, how there have been, there've been many uh, locations and rules and manners in which to worship before the law of Moses came on Mount Sinai, uh, for the nation of Israel, the forefathers, the patriarchs like Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, these guys, they were nomads. Uh, they would set up an altar wherever they felt led to put up an altar. They could put an, uh, up an altar here and worship God and offer sacrifices on that altar. But uh, after Mount Sinai, that all changed. There was no setting up altars anymore wherever you wanted to. It was, here's the altar, right? Here's the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a, a tent-like structure. So it was mobile. They could move it around, but it was still the only proper place to offer sacrifices. Um, after that, they built the temple in Jerusalem. And this became, this was not a mobile structure. It was fixed. It was the permanent place. This is where you went uh, to offer your sacrifices. And uh, I just mention these because it does change throughout time. Um, Nadab and Abihu, you guys remember these guys from Numbers chapter 3. They offered, Israel learned very quickly in the tabernacle days, their standards for worship. Uh, they, they offered strange fire before the Lord. They offered sacrifices in a way that God had not prescribed. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord there and consumed them. Kind of reminds us of the beginning of the church age, right? With Annas and Sapphira. Uh, God says, hey, pay attention. Uh, worship me properly. And then um, Jeroboam, King Jeroboam, Israel, the nation of Israel, before it was divided, right after it divided, um, you had the proper place of worship in Jerusalem, and then you had Jeroboam who sets up an altar in Dan, which is like as far north in the, town, in the land of Israel as you can go, because he was trying to keep his people, Israel, from going down to Judea, Judah. And... Uh, he set up an altar up there that just basically sparked the idolatry in Israel, and God considered that altar an abomination. So there are standards, and we need to pay attention to God's Word. And we'll talk about a lot more of those standards throughout uh, the, you know, the New Testament teachings and uh, why we do what we do on Sunday mornings. You know, there's, there's a reason for what we do what we do. We're getting our instruction on worship from the Word of God. Uh, but the two main fundamentals... 
standards that Jesus mentions here in John chapter 4 is spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. And by the way, Jesus' choice of words here at Sychar are no accident. Jesus is echoing a statement from Joshua who in the Old Testament in nearby Shechem uh, said these words. He, he actually reaffirmed the covenant with Israel, the Mosaic covenant with Israel, and he said, Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. In sincerity and truth. Well, Jesus kind of puts a, a spin on that in a way that the, so that one Samaritan woman would have been aware of those words that Joshua spoke, and Jesus says, Now, now you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. Because so, now they're, they're not going to be under the Mosaic Covenant anymore. A lot of externals are gone. So now it's going to be in spirit and truth. And so it's just, it's interesting to put that in perspective in that context. But in spirit meaning it's spiritual. Um, it's, it's so much of it's just the realm of the unseen. You don't see it. It's something that takes place inside of your heart. It's guided by the Spirit. According to truth, it's not dependent upon externals, not dependent upon rituals. It's from the heart in a spiritual relationship dynamic with God. You're communing with God, your fellowship with God. And then in truth, and, and that's in light of and in, in accord with divine revelation, what God has revealed in His Word and through the person and the work of Christ. That's how we're going to worship. It's not, it's not proper anymore to go to Jerusalem to a temple and offer sacrifices. You know, it's just it's not proper anymore. Now, because Christ has come, He fulfilled that. So, again, standards. We need to th- have that on our minds this year. And then I'm just going to look at, I want to look at you, look at with you real briefly, three reasons just to focus on, eh, I've got four reasons, I guess, now, um, as of this morning. But the four reasons to focus on worship in the New Testament, or focus on worship in the year 2023. Uh, why are we studying this? Why is this relevant? Well, the first reason is admittedly redundant. We were created to worship. 24-7-365, this is a matter of the heart and our lifestyle. Uh, it's what we were created to do, so we'd better make it an emphasis in our lives. We'd better understand this as disciples. Um, it's, it's the big picture that gives us the destination. It's, it gives us meaning and purpose in the now. Uh, people... Two, you think are, are longing, they're longing to know meaning and purpose, uh, their purpose in the world, the, the, the reason for their existence, and they just won't understand that if they don't understand worship. And we won't either. We have to understand we were created to worship. Jesus came to restore us to be proper worshipers because sin made us not very good worshipers, Right? He came to restore worship. That's, ah, who was it? Said, the reason for missions. The reason for missions. The reason, the reason that miss, missions exists is because worship doesn't. Right? We want to we help others come to be worshipers of God. Right? Uh, missions exists because worship doesn't. Uh, it's, it's so all-encompassing. Everything we do is part of worship. You, when you go to work, work is worship. Rest is worship. How I steward resources for God is worship. How I live and operate in my relationships is worship. It's all worship. And we'll talk more about that. Um, but secondly, we become like what we worship. This is an interesting one. And I plan to dedicate an entire message to this concept, but I'm just going to tease you with it here. Everyone is a worshiper. 
We all worship something. I don't care if you say you believe in God or not. You're a worshiper. You're going to worship something in your life. Uh, be it creator God or be it someone else or something else. If it's not the creator, it's something that's involved in creation. Right? You're going to worship something. And the Bible calls that idolatry. And idolatry, this wayward worship, is actually harmful to us. Um, if, if we worship something that's not God, which would be considered an idol, uh, you basically become like that idol, the Old Testament says. So an idol, you think of an, old, an idol maybe in India or the Old Testament, right? There's a lot of idol worship in India today. Like, they cut down trees and carve totem poles and different things, and they paint them, and they, you know, they, they say, this is my God, and they set it on their shelf, and they nail it down to their shelf. Well, and they bow down to these things, right, or statues, well, God says those idols are mute, they're dumb, they can't hear, they can't speak. And when we worship an idol, whatever it is, we too become spiritually dull and dumb. We can't see spiritually, we don't have spiritual ears to hear. Jesus talks about that in the New Testament, right? Uh, just check out Psalm 115, because we're going to be turning there someday, Lord willing. But it says... Those idolaters who make them idols will become like them and everyone who trusts in them. So we want to worship God because we want ears to hear, we want eyes to see. We don't want to be spiritually dull. And life is dull without worship, guys. It really is. And it also uh, stabilizes us. Worship stabilizes us. Kind of like an idol, which you... Jeremiah pokes fun at idols in the Old Testament. He says, it's so funny how they'll, they'll, they'll take half of it and they'll cook it and use it for fuel and the other half they'll make a god out of it, right? This chunk of wood. Half of it I burn, half of it I worship. And he says, then you have to nail it down too so your, so your god doesn't fall over. And it's just the sarcasm is, is just hilarious. But if we're going to worship idols in our world, whatever it is, whatever takes the place of God in our lives, we're not going to be that stable either uh, we have to learn to worship in this world or we're going to go crazy because worship fixes our eyes back on god and his sovereignty and how good he is uh, it recenters us basically psalm 73 the psalmist who writes that psalm is confused he is in emotional and intellectual turmoil as he's, he's looking around at the world and the state of the world kind of like we are, and he doesn't understand why it's so messed up, why the wicked people seem to prosper and why the righteous suffer. And um, just logically, he can't make sense of it all until he enters the sanctuary of God to worship and he fixes his eyes on God and he has a, a, an eternal perspective again. And it's, it's at that point that he realizes in worship that if he has God, he has everything that he needs. The little things, the circumstances, the undesirable junk in his life, the, the hostility from sinners, it really doesn't matter. He has God. So he has all that he needs and in the end the wicked are going to perish and the righteous are going to flourish for eternity here's what he says whom do i have in heaven but you and with you i desire nothing on earth 
My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he's my portion forever. I really don't want anything but God. That's what worship does. It brings you back to the reality that I really don't need a perfect life where everything just goes right and goes my way. I just need God. And God is going to use whatever I go through for his glory, and I'm just going to praise him forever. It just refocuses you. It recenters you. Um, in, a, in a godless, sin-sick, materialistic culture like the psalmist was living in. Uh, seems pretty relevant. But worship is also transformative. That's the last one. Worship is transformative. We see, as one man said, that everything else we do derives its logic and energy and potency from worship. Everything we do. And we're changed by that. We're changed by worship. And it starts to, to rub off on others that we're around. Uh, a worshiping church is going to be a winsome church. It's going to be an attractive church. Uh, if the church worships well, it's going to impact the culture well and the world well. I mean, it's going to do a lot more good than, you know, trying to beat the, I don't know, the call liberals over the head with a hammer, right? Um, what's more attractive, beating people over the head with a hammer or worship? You know, right? Right. People are drawn to a worshiping church, a church that truly worships. And I just want to end with what A.W. Tozer said here, this quote. He said, it's certainly true that hardly anything is missing from our churches these days. Right? We have everything in our church. You know, we have... Gosh, we have nice heat on this morning. The coffee's hot. We got these nice, comfortable chairs, right? Everything's good. There's nothing missing here, is there? I mean, there's some things I would, I kind of want to finish the stage and all, but there's nothing really missing from churches today. We have it pretty good, don't we? One of the things that's missing in a lot of our churches, or maybe could be enhanced, is he says the most important thing is worship. He said, I want to be among those who worship. I don't want to be just part of some great ecclesiastical church machine where the, the pastor turns the crank and the machine runs. He says, I, I, want to, I want to be among people who worship. I wish we might get back to worship again. He says, then when people come into the church and they They'll instantly sense that they've come among a holy people, a worshiping people, God's people, and they can testify of a truth. God is in this place. God is in this place. So I hope you're as excited uh, about this year's theme as I am. I'm looking forward to talking about uh, idolatry and how that affects us. We're going to look at the different ways that we worship. Some of you guys are you know, drawn to worship. You might worship most through singing or through God's creation. There's different, like, sacred pathways, they call them, to worship. Um, we'll look at how work is worship and uh, go from there. But I think, I think we're, we're in for an edifying and encouraging year with this theme.